You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. Well, music history is littered with precocious child prodigies taking the world by storm with their dazzling musical talents. Maybe you've heard of Mozart. Mm, yeah, I've heard of him. Uh-huh. Well, he wowed European heads of state while touring with his sister, Maria Anna, who I've never heard of. Poor thing. Totally not fair. But I know. She was five years older than him. And, but when Mozart was only six... He entertained the Empress of Austria, and afterwards he climbed up into her lap where she gave him a kiss. Maybe that was his inspiration. Young Mozart went on to compose a range of works, including a symphony, concerto, and opera, all by the age of 10. What did I do by the age of 10? Not much. I think I've played softball for one year by the age of 10. Yeah. <laughs> well, a more recent child prodigy is the singer Jackie Ivanko who first gained international notoriety in 2010 through the America's Got Talent television show. I remember watching that mm-hmm. live. Yes. Um, stories of young children wowing audiences with their musical talents brings up the question, what's the right age to start children in musical lessons? Yes. Well, Plato says musical training is a more potent instrument than any other because rhythm and harmony find their way into the inward places of the soul. Yeah, and Albert Einstein said, if I were not a physicist, I would probably be a musician. I often think in music. I live my daydreams in music. I see my life in terms of music. And that's from a scientist. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I love how those things intertwine. Well, today to tackle our subject, which is kids and music, if you haven't figured that out already, we have with us Millie Tracy and... Bob Blaylock, who happens to be my spouse. So, welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks. All right, Bob. Tell us about your musical history. Uh, I guess as as early as I can remember, we had instruments in the house. Uh, My dad and I would play guitar, and then when I got old enough, I started playing mandolin. And then uh, we had a piano in the house, an old 100-year-old piano that I thought was so cool. And so I started taking piano lessons pretty early. And uh, so I never got really great at all that, but I I always was doing it uh, just uh, all the time. And then as soon as I was old enough to join a formal band in sixth grade or whatever, I did that and did that all the way through college. And you did vocal stuff too. Yeah. um, Once I got to high school, I did choir, which is one of my highlights of my life. I love that. And I still use that almost every day. Uh, So I'm so glad I got to do that. What about you, Millie? What's your experience? I come from a very musical family. I, you know, both parents came from Church of Christ family, so lots of harmonic singing, just general reading of music, um, and that's, you know, always been a huge part of our family life. Um, We had a piano in our house, and I'm sure I showed some interest in that, but really my main motivation was my best friend was taking piano lessons, and I wanted to be as cool as him. So I started taking piano lessons in first grade and did that for about five years, and my mom was pretty insistent that uh, I could not quit music, even if I wanted to quit piano. So when I was in sixth grade, I switched to cello and played that throughout middle and high school, and then went on to major in that in college, um, cello performance, and then for the past three years, I've taught preschool music, elementary music, middle and high school band, cello lessons, piano lessons, ukulele lessons, just 
had a lot of opportunities to kind of expand my own musical horizons by doing those things. Wow. So cello is a big old instrument for it really a is. kid. Yes. <laughs> How did you come across that one? Or why did you pick that? Well, my all? brother and sister were both playing the fiddle, not the violin, the fiddle. Okay. And uh, they would, you know, go to fiddle competitions. And it was a very bluegrassy time of our lives. And <laughs> I decided I was really intrigued by the strings family, but I did not want to be as country as them. So I went with the classier <laughs> choice okay. and picked the cello. <laughs> I love it. For the record. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. And you've you've taught a lot of lessons then. I have, yeah. And are you teaching mostly children? Do you have adults? I've never had an adult student actually. Yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting. There seems to be a window mm. for people in this. And it's it's when you're young. And entering. So. Yeah. So Bob, you didn't say what you did in the band. You're not playing guitar and mandolin in the band or piano in the band. No, as I think most people do, I started with trumpet and then quickly switched to other instruments. So I went to euphonium, which is what I still consider my favorite instrument. And then uh, in marching band, they needed a tuba. So I, I did tuba, which is a blast, a lot of fun, because everybody gets out of your way when you march around. <laughs> and and when you're in college, uh, people can see you on TV because they can pick out that big horn. And so that was fun, too. So that's what I did. Okay. Let's just talk about, in general, what is the benefit of listening to music for children? So I'm assuming your family, your home was full of music, Millie. Very. very. So what, what's the benefits? I mean, for me, I think it's like pretty evident the way that music has shaped my life. Um, you know, I grew up listening to, you know, hymns at church and singing that kind of stuff with my extended family. But then also, you know, in my house... We listen to the Beatles a lot and the Beach Boys and Frankie Valley. Like a lot of, you know, my mom's and my grandma's music was passed down to our generation. And so that's something that's really special for me to still have that as, you know, a connection with them and something that we all enjoy listening and singing together as a family. Um, so connection, I think, is really big for kids. Um, I was just talking with my husband's grandma last night and she was singing a song for him that she sang when he was little. And he was like, man, like this brings back so many memories and just mm -hmm. makes me feel like so special. Like this is a special connection I have with my grandma. So music just especially in a family context, just really, you know, brings people together and helps you form those connections. I love that it's so much. It like creates a soundtrack for your childhood. Exactly. Oh, it absolutely does. That's Go back cool. to our David Skidmore's um, podcast episode where he was talking about that very thing. Soundtrack brings back, you can be right back to that middle school dance mm -hmm. and the dance, you know, the one I'm talking about. <laughs> um, Another thing that, yeah. that you may mention, but you know, there's that whole Mozart effect thing. So a lot of people play, uh, certain types of music, even to their child in the womb and when they're young. And some people, some studies suggest it does increase IQ and do other good things for your kids. So there's a lot of, a lot of people interested in the subject of kids listening to music. I think just back to cultures before you even had, you know, really instruments or anything. I think it's just this natural thing that comes up in moms, um, had that baby and I'm just naturally swaying and singing a song to put them to bed at night. Now, where does that come from? Right. It's just sort of wired in you to, um, well, blow off steam and and help somebody relax. And like you said, connect. It's calming. It goes with the rhythm. And even babies, whether they've been sung to in the womb or not, it's hilarious. You can just watch videos on YouTube of babies being played music and they're you know their little legs are jamming it's the and funnest if you need some joy in your life to our cultivate joy podcast like go watch baby dance yes <laughs> yes i just think there's something wired in us from somewhere and i would argue it's divine mm -hmm. um 
that just makes music part of our DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So every major event of our life, you're playing weddings, you're playing funerals, you've sung at lots of funerals, Bob. Um, just big events. I think back to the when the Queen died. Did you watch the funeral service of the Queen? Well, they had. Why this- are you asking me that? No. <laughs> It was an important historic event. I know, and I, I think I was at Marshall's or Not something. Not to revel in <laughs> sadness, but yeah, the whole there was this whole procession of bagpipes, which just made, I don't know if you didn't have that, it would just been like this, okay, well, here, we're looking at the church and all the people, but the bagpipes made it this big sweeping ceremony, and it was just, I don't know, really cool. Bag, bagpipes, they set a tone. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Okay, so there's there's benefits to listening to music as a child, but you both played instruments as a child. As a child, I took piano lessons. Did you not take any lessons, Bonnie? Nope. Yeah, we all had to give it a go. I think my mom did, but that was the only music that we had in our house. Like you, Millie, they listened to the 50s. Mm-hmm. So for me to hear... Um, Frank Sinatra and that kind of stuff takes me back to my childhood because mm-hmm. that's what my parents used to dance to in the kitchen. But we didn't have musical instruments mm-hmm. at all. None of us mm-hmm. played anything. None of us sang. Yeah. We were just like, it sounds like a really unhappy house, but it really wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's an interesting point because David and I were talking about our childhoods and music and his house was filled with music. His dad played the banjo and the guitar and he sang. And of course, mm-hmm. they came from a a singing family from church with the hymns and everything. And, and so, yeah, he can't, he couldn't imagine a house not filled with music, but my parents maybe played a John Denver record every now and then. Oh, it's funny. And uh, that was about it. There was no music in our house. So why did you take lessons? So I don't know why they made us take lessons. I think they probably thought it's good for you. I don't know. I didn't ask my mom. But your brother is a, well, it stuck with my middle brother. Yeah. He's a musician that, but the, (laughs) the book ends, John and I, it did. I mean, it was good for us. I can read music. Um, I learned how to sing some from playing the piano, but it wasn't like my joy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it was Rob's. I don't think I would have passed it on or probably it wouldn't have even occurred to me to pass it on to my kids if I hadn't been married to you. Yeah. Yeah. Same. What do you think about, was that your impulse that made our kids take piano? And Oh yeah. I just think it's so important for reasons we don't even know, but uh, it's just very important in general. And, uh, and I definitely wanted to pass that on to my kids as much as possible. And if they had any, real musical talent i wanted to encourage that but i'm curious what millie thinks uh being a person who people come and pay her to help their kids why do people do that what are the motivations of the parents or the kids yeah i think first of all it's just so common for people to have a piano in their house like that's probably the one that you see just around most often even if people aren't musical themselves like i feel like you have a piano and so i think kids from a very early age are exposed to that and get really excited about it and I think also when you're a kid, you look at an instrument and you're like, I could totally do that. And you expect to just sit down at the piano bench and play like Mozart. But um, I mean, same with sports, like it takes a lot of discipline and mental dexterity and everything to, you know, figure out how to become good at something like that. And even if you're not, you know, professional musician, like having that skill is so important throughout life to just be able to relate to people. I mean, hmm. that's something like, I feel like piano lessons are probably the most common, just as the piano in the house is the most common. And so it's like, you took piano, I took piano, let's sit down and play a song together. Heart and soul. That's exactly. the only thing I can Heart do and soul. <laughs> so it's just, um, you know, really beneficial for kids mentally, 
physically, you know, getting that left-right connection in their brains, learning how to use their hands independently. Um, there's so many connections between the subject areas and music, like the way that it helps you learn to read. If you can read music and it just really improves the way that you read a book, you know, you're going from left to right, you're looking at a symbol on a piece of paper and that's kind of making a sound, mm. whether that's in your head or oh, you're yeah. reading out loud or you're playing on the piano, like there's just so much connection there. And then with math, you know, you're looking at the beats and the division of beats within a measure and the time signature. And even once you get into the more theoretical concepts like building harmonies and chords like math is a huge part of it just every subject has some connection to music i didn't think about it relating to reading like that mm -hmm. I've, all, I've heard the math thing before but i've never connected it to mm -hmm. reading that's interesting and i took piano in college i took one college piano class because it counted for something else <laughs> and like you just said oh this will be easy like surely i can do this right Oh my goodness. It took me the entire little semester to get to Ode to Joy. And it was like plink, plink, because I'm an awesome typist. I can type Real over fast. 100 words a minute, you know, like <laughs> Real fast. Right there. But that's technically one thing at a time, right. one letter at a time. And mm. doing the two hands together, my brain working separately. And plus, not. I mean, you're, you know in your brain already how to form a word with those letters, and you know where those letters are. And so when you're starting with piano, you first of all have to learn to read the music. You have to take that from the page to your brain and then figure out where that note is on the piano. It's a language. And then tell your finger to push that note. And it's just, it takes so many steps, and that's just so good for a kid's brain to have to go through all that. That's not so good for an, <laughs> for an adult's brain. I don't know. I, I know lots of people. Well, several people we know have started taking up piano in their later life. And I guess you can do it, right? We can train old dogs to do new tricks. Yeah, it, it depends on how, I think there is some natural talent and there's some other things that you might've done that it might make it easier, those kinds of things. But yeah, I know one really good musician who didn't really start music till 17, which is relatively old for starting something new. And, um, and certainly even if you, are never going to be Mozart. If you start when you're 40, it can still bring you a lot of joy. I took piano lessons again as an older person and I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't progress as fast as I did when I was a kid, but it was still uh, meaningful and, and, uh, and enjoyable. And uh, I got a lot out of it. Why do you, why did you go back? Why did you stop in the first place? And then why did you go back? Cause my mom didn't say I couldn't stop and, <laughs> and it got hard. And so I, and then I, pretty quickly realized, gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't quit. But then I was in band and all those other things. And so I had music in my life. So I, that kind of scratched the itch. And then when I got to be an adult, I'm like, oh, I so wish I could play piano because it's piano is unique. I think it's kind of the foundation of everything else. And um, so I thought I would give it a try when my kids were taking it also, but it was just much harder. The old brain is just not quite as flexible as the young brain. <laughs> Something interesting I read lately is that 80% of piano students quit within the first year. 80% quit? Mm -hmm. Kids? As kids. kids? Yeah, as children. Oh. So don't give up, moms. What, why do you think that is? I mean, I, it might be like what you were saying earlier that, you know, people want to try a lot of different things and see what their kids are good at. And I mean, I quit a lot of sports in my day, so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You're just kind of trying to pick and choose what clicks best with you. And so 80% is a really high number and that should make the other 20% feel pretty proud of themselves, I would think. But also, you know, yeah. it shows you how many people are willing to try something like that, uh, which I think is great. Um, but 
a lot of the motivation, I think, kind of slips away after that first year, especially if you're not progressing in the way that you want to. Yeah, I think it's hmm. hard. Okay, good point. I mean, I, I remember that as well. Houston hit the typical like middle school years, and I could tell like he's really good, and he would, you know, kind of hit a wall. Music got harder. He wanted to quit, and I was like, you know, I'm not going to let you quit right now, just because I knew developmentally kind of where we were with puberty and everything and all the angsty stuff that goes on. I just said, you can, you can do it late. You can quit later, but I'm not going to let you quit at this season of your life. And then he didn't want to quit. He, he got past that, past that hurdle. And that's when I quit as well. So, and my, I, you know, I, it was a power struggle with my parents. Like I, I refused to practice and I was like basically making them throw their money away. But yeah, that she finally gave in and said, yeah, you can quit. I, I think I would like to get Millie's take on this too, because I kind of enjoy being an amp amateur at music because it's still fun. But I think if I had to do it, I mean, I have lots of professional music fr uh, friends and, the, you know, it's hard work. Like you got to practice six or eight hours a day if you want to be a professional at an instrument or whatever. And I'm like, gosh, that didn't sound like that much fun. And I, I've always been afraid it would sap the joy of music away if I tried to make it a professional thing. One, I might not have been good enough, but even if I had been good enough, I just wondered. So what do you think, Millie? Have you ever had the joy of music sapped away because you do it so much? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really hard choice for me um, in choosing a degree because I just, I love so many different subject areas and I knew that was something that if I really put my all into it, I could, you know, excel at that. But I also felt that way about a lot of other things, which humble brag, like I just, I just was very interested in other stuff as well. Um, so I had a hard time realizing that like, if this is the choice I make to go in this musical direction, that um, some of the joy is going to be taken away from that. And, you know, I just loved the community of an orchestra, especially in high school. I got to play next to my best friend every day. Like we just worked together very, very well. And when you are in college and like you said, practicing four, five, six hours a day, you're in a practice room alone and you there's a lot of independence in that, a lot of discipline in that, which I was not very good at. But um it also takes a little bit of the joy out, just knowing like this is my job now, this is, you know, as a student, like what I am expected to do full time. This is something that I not only am I mean when you major in music, you're not only trying to learn your instrument but also learning the history and the theory and that part i think is really interesting but it's very grueling to just sit in a practice room by yourself and just you know hack away at the scales or look at one measure for an hour and try and perfect a really tricky part like it's just it's hard to have the motivation to do that on your own especially when for me i thrive in an orchestral setting like yeah. i never would want to be a soloist i love working with other people and you know coming together and making the music in that way but in order to do well in that environment you have to practice on your own before mm -hmm. you even go to those rehearsals right yeah, you won't see a lot of that behind the scenes stuff no you see the beautiful mm -hmm. when you go to a concert the beautiful finished product yes and i mean do you have to have lessons millie i don't think so I mean, there, we. I know some people in adulthood who are beautiful musicians, singers. Mm -hmm. I don't know about piano and stuff like that, but singers, they never had any formal training, mm -mm. and and so and yet they think that they're less than because they didn't. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to that uh, consumption. But they've consumed so much music and such right. a variety that they're so good at 
picking. Yeah, that's and- the great thing about music is you can interact with music on any level. Mm-hmm. You can be a professional musician, but most people are not. Most people are going to just have some level that they're happy with, whether that's listening or playing a little bit or singing occasionally or singing at church or whatever. Music is accessible to everyone and is a universal kind of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not that great of a musician, but I love doing it just because it's fun. And so I just just indulge the fun. So I'd say don't get discouraged if your kid doesn't decide to take lessons or continue, or if they do, if they are one of the 80% that quit, then it still might be good for them. It still might be mm-hmm. something that, that gives them benefit in life. So we should probably see more of that making the sausage stuff behind the scenes. <laughs> um, gonna add. I was just thinking, because this is about the value of music for kids, uh, maybe one of the most successful friends we have from high school who went to Harvard Law School uh, is extremely successful attorney, majored in music as an undergrad. Mm-hmm. And comparing her college experience and mine is night and day because she spent probably 40 hours a week in addition to going to class mm-hmm. practicing. And so by the time she got to law school, it wasn't any big deal. Like, <laughs> okay, I can study because I, it's much easier than music. And so I've seen that in, in multiple people. I had a religious studies professor who was a music, a professional musician before he went back and got his PhD in religion. And it's just, it's such incredible preparation, the discipline and the, the analytical skills and mm-hmm. everything. I would say music might be the best thing to major in in college, okay. no matter what you want to do later, because it gives you a set of skills that you almost can't get any other way, except maybe playing at, at the NCAA level of football or something. You might get that same kind of discipline, but otherwise you probably don't. Something that was really fascinating to me when I started school, I had originally planned to double major in biology and music and then go to med school afterwards. And that obviously didn't happen. But um, one thing that was so interesting was someone told me that behind majoring in biology, and I don't know that this is still true, but the highest or the people who were most likely to get into med school were people who had majored in music. Hmm which I just think is so interesting. So interesting. It shows you the discipline that For you have all those to have reasons. that translates into other subject areas. Yeah, so interesting. Well, I'm going to skip ahead since you mentioned, Millie, the um, being in choir and band and orchestra and loving that um, camaraderie and that working together. What lessons, both of you, did you learn from being in an orchestral setting or band setting that were different from being a solo kind of thing? I mean... Kind of like I said earlier, the community of it is obviously a huge aspect, um, but also that side of you, you can't come to rehearsal unprepared. There's so many layers to being in an ensemble like that where, you know, you learn the music yourself on your own time. You come together and your orchestra director or band director will guide you through, you know, meshing with the other players. And if you show up to rehearsal unprepared for that, you throw off the other players. So there's a lot of accountability in that, which I think is, Mm. you know, that was vital for me because I kind of sucked at playing at home (laughs) by myself. So that was something that I knew if I came to class or rehearsal and I was not prepared that, first of all, there was going to be a little bit of public humiliation there because they wouldn't, you know, make you play one at a time, figure out who the problem is, (laughs) um, which was always very stressful. (laughs) But also, you know, you, you want to sound good you want to do well with your peers you want to be able to fit that together and um then be able to perform at your very best not just as an individual but like really melding together as a group like one thing i've always heard is if i can hear you specifically you are not doing what you're supposed to do as part of an orchestra like you need to meld with the people around you and really learn how to blend in 
Yeah, I think the listening is, especially in vocal music for me, is one of the greatest things. And it applies to all of life. Uh, that ability to uh, sit there and, and listen while doing something. So you're, you're again, you're using multiple tracks of your brain at once, but you're listening to everyone else and constantly adjusting and fine tuning to fit in with that. And I would say that to take that one step further, some of my most spiritually transformative experiences have been with music in a, in a group. Same. Uh, and so I've had some moments where I felt like I was already in heaven mm -hmm. uh, as I'm performing in a group. And it's just when the whole group clicks and gels as one, it's Beautiful. magical. It's like, like nothing else you've ever experienced. It's like, I think of it as the birds around here in the South around this time of year, you see the starlings come in and these huge, like thousands of blackbirds all at once are in the sky and they're all moving as one. And it's mm -hmm. like, a, it almost looks like smoke in the sky. It's really mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. um, that's what that reminds me of. You know, and if one of them gets off, it's going to throw the whole rest of the flock off and they're going to not get where they need to go. And there's something about that. Um, I think we feel it in community, too. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a life metaphor coming together for in the body with one of us being a, an elbow or a cello, one of us being a nose or a tuba. And, and you all work together to make this really cool sound you couldn't have had otherwise. Mm -hmm. It's kind of beautiful. Yeah, it really, I'm thinking about our sports episode where you know it, we've talked about team sports a whole lot it's, mm -hmm. it's really just a, another way for your child to be a part of a group and and you're learning all of those similar disciplines and beautiful character building things mm -hmm. the the cool thing about music though is like at some point you're in sports you're probably going to get injured mm -hmm. you're gonna bust that knee mm -hmm. or twist that ankle and your football career is done but you can always play the cello you can always say unless you do it professionally and then you do have to have shoulder reconstruction my husband had a lot of nashville symphony clients and they have all these injuries that are related to their instrument repetitive well, tuba, use i can repetitive use and 50 from yeah. cello wrist oh yeah yeah repetitive use injuries yeah, yeah i had i don't know that it was ever technically qualified as carpal tunnel but when i was preparing for my senior recital i was having like serious arm spasms where i would be practicing and i would like drop my bow and that even happened on stage to me one time where you know weeks leading up to a concert i would just strain my tendon in my forearm so hard that it would i like my two middle fingers would spaz out and i would drop it so wow yeah that's something mm -hmm. i've had to be really careful of wear a brace for go and get massages oh. <laughs> what a hard life to yeah, have <laughs> And there's a, I mean, the voice also, you know, constantly professional musicians are straining their voice mm -hmm. and not able to sing anymore, getting polyps on their vocal cords. And there's a real art, even a lot of professional musicians don't really know how to protect their voice properly and things. And so it's, a, it's something you really have to learn if you're going to do it seriously. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I was wrong. <laughs> All righty then. All right, so schools across the nation are cutting music classes for children. At least you hear a lot about that. So what are kids missing out on? When that happens, and I hear the argument go, okay, music is just noise. It's not a, it's not essential to performing well in school. It's not really an academic thing. And students are wasting too much time on practicing, or the time spent on music trips takes away from where kids really need to be in the classroom. It's not going to be, you're not going to make money doing it. So why are we promoting it? Okay, I think this is goes to the core of what Western humanity thinks a human being is. Mm -hmm. They think that we are brains on a stick. And that we are made to have information dumped into those brains at maximum velocity. And it does not take the whole human into account at all. 
Hmm. Because you see PE getting cut and music getting cut. And they've already told us there's so many beautiful benefits. What do you think about music getting cut, music teacher? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I'm against that. Um, I think it's a little bit of a catch-22 in that, you know, people are cutting music out of schools because it's not necessarily seen as something academic, like you said, but it can be very academic. And, you know, we talked about the ways that it can relate to so many different subject areas. I think the reason that people are seeing it as dispensable is because people treat it as a brain break a lot of times in school. And that's one thing that, Hmm. you know, obviously is so beneficial for kids to, you know, if you're in a conventional school setting, you know, kids are sitting at their desk, they're sitting down, they're learning, they're taking in information, they're doing their worksheets, they're working on projects, that kind of thing. And that's a lot of brain load for a kid in a day. And so then to have a special area like art or music or PE, um, where they can go and take a little break from that is obviously super helpful. Um, give them a chance to move around, to interact with their peers, to learn something in a less rigorous setting Mm. but with that mindset about the special areas music in particular um i think that's when you can slip into thinking okay because this is more of a break for the kids we don't have to put as much funds into it or we can cut it entirely um so i think it really depends on the school's mindset about how important the arts are and what the function of them is for the kids i hope we're seeing Mm. after 2020 how much mental health is affected Mm -hmm by the stress we're putting on kids by the time they graduate to have all this, all the requirements met and the highest of high requirements met. And we don't give them enough space to do some drama or some, um, I mean, we put lots of emphasis on sports, but to do drama or music or some of those things that are an outlet for stress and have been demonstrated in a lot of um, lower economic areas. For those reasons, to bring to show what community looks like, to show what cooperation looks like, and what you can do and have potential for. Not everybody, you know, fits into the square box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's lots of different ways to be a student. So yeah, I'm definitely anti-cutting all of the. Arts. I have so many fun memories of music class. I mean, the teacher would come and hand out the tambourines and the maracas mm-hmm. and the triangle. I was one of the triangles. So, so I can fun. see that about you. Oh, yeah. For the kids who aren't taking <laughs> private lessons outside of school, that instrument exposure is a huge deal because it might mean, be the only thing they exactly ever- like if you don't have instruments at home, then, you know, music class might be the only place you ever encounter that. And I think that's really special to be mm-hmm. able to get to be the person who does that for a kid. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, um, you know, sometimes I think we look at academics as, you know, all that other stuff's preparation for when you get to college and do the real work or when you get to grad school and do the real work, depending on what you want to do and what your goals in life are. But I can honestly say that the um, some of the most special musical things I ever did was in high school. And I didn't know that that was going to be kind of the end of some of my formal training. But gosh, it prepared me pretty well so that I can sing on praise team at church now and everything. And so what kids learn in even in middle years or high school years especially can stay with them the rest of their life and be some of their best experiences and i would i'd say to this day you know i've run a business and i've done a lot of things in my life but uh especially being in the ut band uh, in college but even in my high school choir were two of the best run organizations i've ever been a part of and the excellence that i tried to bring into owning a business a lot of that came from those lessons Uh, how did they run the band 
because it was an incredibly efficient and productive uh, organization. And so don't overlook the lessons that you can learn even early in life that will stay with you and help you if you're in business or if you're in uh, become a doctor or anything else. Uh, and a lot of those for me came through my music experience. Did that give you, um, either one of you, was that your friend group? Was that your people? Some of them were, sure. I, I had multiple fr friend groups, uh, and th those were some of them, for sure. Uh, music people are different, you know, the band, band geeks or whatever. Uh, and uh, I enjoyed being a part of that. Uh, but I had, I had two or three different friend groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my husband and I were actually in choir together, so that was obviously really great quality time for us. We weren't even together at the time, but just to, you know, learn how to function in that environment, how to be brave in front of one another and, you know, other friends as well. But I think that played into our relationship in a major way. And that's obviously still, you know, a very big part. We sing together all the time. So it's, it's sweet to still have that connection with him. For have sure. you heard them sing together? No, we're going to have to have a concert Aww. next week. <laughs> that's sweet. Dalton and Millie I'm just stage. thinking, you know, there's, there's so much trouble with, you know, moms finding their people. Mm -hmm. You know, we're always saying, find your people, find your people, find your group. But kids, too. Oh, you definitely. Know, need, they need their people. And that's a, I, I would think that would just be a natural way to find your people. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I've had several moms ask, like, how do you, how do you determine what your kid wants to do? And we, we made, both of our, made, we suggested gently <laughs> that both of our kids do piano. Need your piano teacher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, one of them she was good about she was good with it yeah she like she took it up and, and liked it okay but then after a certain point kind of lost interest uh ben was a little more stuck with it for a little more but he did it um out of the box he wasn't really interested in reading music he just wanted to play the songs mm -hmm. in middle school he didn't do anything musical necessarily but we said hey savannah you're gonna go do band for a little while and oh no it was the band geek stamp oh. so we're gonna like sabotage our time there so that we don't have to stay in the van geek you know situation because they weren't her people mm -hmm. she did not think mm -hmm. so um yeah how do you i'm curious millie when you have parents come to you for lessons or whatever is it generally driven by the parent or by the child's interest i would like to say that it's by the child because without that interest like they're not going to be motivated to practice outside of lessons but I think a lot of times it is the parents who, you know, see the merits of having lessons in whatever capacity and want that for their children, um, especially parents who didn't have that themselves and wish they had kind of like you were saying, Bob, like, mm. you know, getting to a certain point in life and being like, man, I really wish I could play the piano. But you know what? Why don't I make my child learn? <laughs> and then we can have a family band. And, you know, that's that was kind of my mom's mentality. So I think, um, yeah, a lot of the time it is the parents, which is also great like of course you want the kids to be motivated and to want that themselves but having a parent at home who is supportive of that who's going to remind you to practice who's going to drive you to your lessons and pay for those lessons and get you a new instrument if you need that i think that's so important and i i'm always very encouraged by the way that parents are trying to you know ask questions about how they can improve their child's mm -hmm. musical and or musical gifts mm -hmm. and just make sure that they're really getting that well-rounded education. It's just like any other subject or thing or sure. t-ball or whatever. You're just going to kind of dip your toes in and see if they take to it. Mm -hmm. I know when I was a teacher, a tutorial, um, give, I was like, give me an involved parent. I don't care the the level of aptitude of the student. Mm -hmm. If the parent's involved, it's going to be such a better experience for me for as sure. a tutor. 
what what are you looking for then, Millie, in a child to know how ready they are? So I remember Houston was little and Emma was taking lessons. And then he sat down and started playing the song she was practicing. And I was like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> you're, like, you're pretty young. So I talked to the teacher and she gave me kind of um, her take on it. What's your take? My general rule of thumb was to take students starting in the first grade at the youngest. And that is, I mean, back to that connection between subject areas, I think once you learn how to read, even if you're not, you know, a highly proficient reader, but just understanding the mechanics of reading, that translates to reading music as well. And so um, being at a point where after been, being through kindergarten, where you have some recognition of that, and you're, you know, good at counting, good at the patterns. Music is a lot about patterns. I, I've read something recently about how it's actually kind of detrimental for us to force pencils into kids' hands when their bones aren't all connected yet, things like that. But, you know, that's something that kids learn to do in kindergarten. So having that manual dexterity is really important as well, just having a little more physical command of themselves. And then, of course, you know, attention span, even if it's a shorter lesson, 20 or 30 minutes, that's a long time for a kid to sit down and work on one thing. So uh, first grade is what I've observed to be my best time. And also, like, I work with that age group pretty regularly, and that is easy for me to communicate with them. So I think, though, that kind of like what you were saying, you get to that age of middle school puberty where you're like, hmm, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. I'm not sure I want to put in the effort. And that I think is a really good time to try a new instrument. Mm, and that's how, that's idea. what my experience was, you know, starting with piano, transitioning to cello. I want that for every kid. I taught band last year and I had kids who had never read music before and that was fine and they learned, but having a start on piano just allows so much more of an ease of transition into playing the trumpet or playing the cello or there's just so many different physical things you have to consider so having that basis of knowing how to read music I think is so important when you are ready to put in a different instrument and piano just like I was saying the right left hands like mm. learning yeah I think that's the best place to mm -hmm. start and at a younger age and then to transition to another instrument later. do they have little I mean I've seen them on on tv these savant little children doing violin and mm -hmm. stuff um and that's a lot of physical it you've got to hold yeah. this the violin steady you have to move the bow um do they have brass instruments for little kids are the mouthpieces smaller are, are they size no it's just okay. i have a friend who's got a mm -hmm, see eight or nine years old he just started with trombone it's a little that's smaller. a hard one. yeah smaller a smaller size trombone but but yeah or a, like fourth grade like a little i can't picture I like mean, harp either you know some of these yeah. instruments are just ridiculous <laughs> even when you're working with like middle school band you want to start them on those smaller instruments like the trumpet the trombone uh flute clarinet that kind of thing and then as they get older they it means kind of like taking your piano skills and transferring it to a different instrument and i think that's really fun for kids too is you know maybe they haven't necessarily mastered the first instrument they try but they're going to take those skills and put it towards something new that they can be excited about mm-hmm yeah. What about the guitar? We haven't, nobody's mentioned really the guitar because I was like, listen, Houston, the ladies know, love right? it when a guy plays guitar. <laughs> yeah. Don't you want to pick that up in high school? Piano too, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think guitar is a great instrument you can take with you. Mm -hmm. That was the thing with Houston and the piano. Like, he could never take it with him, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so guitar would be a fun one mm -hmm. to pick our banjo or something. Or ukulele. You play the ukulele. I do play the ukulele. Yeah. That's a fun one with kids because there's, 
only four strings. It's a lot smaller. It's just easier for them to grasp. So yeah, that, that was really fun thing that we did in school. Yeah. There's, what was I going to say? Oh, there's a book called the battle hymn of the tiger mother came out in 2011. Do you remember reading that? I remember. Yeah. So it was by Amy Twa and her daughter. Um, one of them played Suzuki piano and the other violin and it didn't matter that they didn't couldn't take a piano with them. Like she was hardcore. They were gonna. I think they one or both eventually played at Carnegie. Mm-hmm. And everywhere they went on vacation, they would find a hotel with a piano in the lobby, and they would spend their hours. You could get your hours in. Like it was hardcore. <laughs> we're gonna be this music person. And there was a lot of backlash about that book, but I think I don't know if you read it kind of openly. There's a lot of good things about that too. I think the daughters would would agree with some of that. Yeah, we didn't do that. We didn't either. definitely didn't do that. Obviously. Although I do tend to have Asian parenting tendencies. <laughs> um, that was not one that we did. And now for fun, it'd be like, it was actually a treat when we were traveling. Like, hey, do you want to go play on that hotel piano if we get permission? Something that you've been working on mm-hmm. as a reward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the the practice, it's so good for you. The, that daily like discipline of having to practice. And yeah, there's ups and downs, but... Man, what a good, what a good, good character building, life lesson building, brain building, skill building thing. Well, I didn't do any of that. I didn't practice team sports like that. I didn't practice music like that. So you think my discipline is? Mm-mm. You just published a book. Lower. You good discipline. <laughs> you just told at your book um, launch, somebody asked you, like, how did you write your book? And you're like, well, I had a certain number of words every single day I had to type. And it was from like 8 to 11. Well, that's okay, that's plenty of discipline, friend. <laughs> plenty of discipline. Yeah, I'm reminded of something my piano teacher told me. I was like, I'm not sure I'm ever going to get this song. This is as an adult. And he said, well, have you practiced it a hundred times? I'm like, no. He's like, well, you don't know if you'll get it or not. Because <laughs> uh, you can't even know if you're even any good at it until you've done it at least a hundred times. And have you practiced at least an hour a day, seven days a week for the last month? I'm like, uh, no. He's like... Well, then you don't know if you're good at piano or not. <laughs> and so there is that, uh, no matter how good you are, there's that put in the hours yes. kind of thing, which is true of great uh, athletes, great musicians. And, and the ones who are best at it tend to put even more time in. And uh, they know that it might take 100 times, even for the best person to get something. And they just know that's part of it. And so that is a wonderful life lesson, because I think a lot of people try something once and say, I didn't do it. I'm not any good. And music will cure you of that real quick. Mm-hmm. So what what was that book, Bobby? You may have recommended it to me, the, the 10,000 hours rule. So like if you've done something for 10,000 hours, you generally have mastered it. Malcolm Gladwell talks about that. Other yeah. people have too. But but yeah, that there is some truth to that, that, that until you put 10,000 hours into something, you won't become an expert. And then there's even another book that's come out that says to be a master is probably about 50,000 hours. And so that's when you see people in their careers, usually getting to be like a senior level of their careers and they hit this whole other gear. Um, yeah. I remember that was encouragement for Houston. So I read that book. Uh, Houston was an early high school, maybe, a, maybe eighth grade even. And I started figuring out, okay, if he practiced an hour a day and we won't even say like seven days a week, we'll say four or five days a week. And I started figuring out how many hours he's played. I said, look, look how close mm-hmm. you're getting. Like, you're you're going to hit this in high school, this number, because you started when you were five years old. And um, that was a real encouragement. And it was an encouragement for me, too, just, just thinking about my life in general, that 10,000-hour rule. Like, 
why are you good at cooking? Well, you've actually done that for 15,000 hours. So it's like the law of compounding interest or whatever. If you start young, you do get the advantage of having done it a lot. I've put more than 10,000 hours into music, even though I'm not a professional in any way, but I've counted it up and I've done more than that. Uh, but part of that's because I just started young and also church is a huge thing. Yes, it is. It's a big part of every church mm-hmm. uh, service that we go to. So. With music. I just read recently that it's not only the doing of the 10,000 hours, but it can also be consumption. So if you um, eat for 10,000 hours, if you eat for (laughs) 10,000 hours, (laughs) no, if you read uh, a wide variety of things for 10,000 hours, you're going to absorb um, cadence and rhythm and sentence structure and all that kind of stuff too. So you don't actually have to be doing it, and, and you come out a better writer at the end of that, even if you've never written anything, mm-hmm. than if you'd never read. So I think it's similar too. Like you were talking about, um, typically musicians, even cellists, do not just listen to only classical music. You're listening to, you know, mm, yeah. rap and hip hop and all kinds of, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, oldies and all the different genres, jazz, all this, all the different stuff. Um, so it's not just, you know, you play tuba, so I'm only going to listen to the tuba music. Everything else is an influence in the hobby. <laughs> Even though you do love tuba Christmas. I mean. yeah, yeah. John Philip Sousa marches. Yeah, yeah, talk about tuba Christmas for a minute. What is that? And uh, that is one of the coolest examples of how you can use um, some random skill, like playing a giant tuba in adult life. Yeah, one of the great uh, tuba players uh, of the 20th century got this cool idea to just get a bunch of tubas together and start playing Christmas carols. And everybody thought he was crazy at first, but he got, I think the first one might have been in New York Mm -hmm. at, uh, what's that? Rockefeller Center? Yeah, Rockefeller Center. On the ice rink. And he got permission, and then they did it, and everybody loved it because it's just so unique and different. And so it's spread all over the country. And so now there's one in Nashville. I've performed in about 15 of them probably. And... um, and so you just one day you get together, you practice for two hours, and then you hold a public concert. Uh, and uh, with people you've never seen before, right? Yeah, all the way from you know these people who just picked up the instrument this year. You got some like ten-year-olds, and then all the way up to the oldest person is often nine year older that's playing. So it's something you can do for your whole life. And I don't, I don't play my instrument very much, but I can still feel like I can go and play these Christmas carols once a year and have a lot of fun. And so, yeah, it's, it's just another way music is fun and everybody, uh, all the audience just loves hearing it. It's just a unique experience. Yeah. It's cool hearing all the, um, they're so bass (laughs) that to hear the Christmas carols in this really bass (laughs) tone, it just shakes the whole venue. And, um, one of these days we're going to get to New York city and do it on the ice. Yeah. Cool. So what, what have we missed? What else would you want to tell these moms about kids and music something that i say to my kids at school a lot is remind them that we are created in the image of a creative god and i think that is really affirming for the kids to know that you know not only is this something we're exploring in school together but this is something god designed us to do this is something that you know is a quality of god that he has put inside of us to create in whatever way that is whether that's you know art, music, imaginative play, you know, the way that you move your body, like there's so many different ways to be creative. And so for, for parents to really affirm that in their children outside of school and have them, you know, pursue these creative endeavors, whether that's music or something else, I think is really essential and helping kids identify who they are and who they are in God, um, because that's such a big connection between us and him. Hmm, I love that. Cue the tear rolling down my cheek. (laughs) That's so beautiful. It really is Christian worldview, like shaping 
it, I mean, really, it's fantastic. It's mm-hmm. it's um, it reminds me of um, one of my favorite scriptures about music, and uh, is where Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he commands them to be filled with the Spirit of God. So when you're when you're commanded to do something in Scripture, I'm assuming God gives us the means mm-hmm. to do it. He's not a big meanie. He gives us the means to do it, and and Paul writes exactly how we are to do it, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's so beautiful. We do like it's what you're describing. You guys are describing in orchestra. Mm-hmm. You, you're doing you're doing it to one another and for us mm-hmm. in the audience. From your heart and with your body so beautiful it is it's awesome so i think in conclusion we can say that um obviously as with everything you know your child best but sometimes they surprise you and you something that you expose them to they have this talent for that you never even considered so um expose them to just a different variety of music and instruments i love the 80s so my kids know all the 80s <laughs> tune. Um, and see what catches their attention and consider what it is that you want them to get out of that pursuit of music. Is it like um, translation into different subjects, things like that? Or is it um, expression of their creativity or the really cool inclusion of community and working together as a team or all of the above? Mm-hmm. It's just really cool. So um, consider exposing your child to music or doesn't have to be private lessons. It can be start little and see where they go with it. Yeah, it's one of the funnest things about parenting. I loved like exploring what my kids were good at. It's like, hey, let's try this. Let's try this. Mm-hmm. And just see what sticks. You're throwing spaghetti at the wall. Yeah. You don't have to take it so, so seriously. That's it's like, right. oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's actually fun. Yeah. And if you're interested in taking lessons, well, we got somebody to hook you up with. Yeah. Hey, Millie. <laughs> Millie's been doing this really cool like travel the world thing. Well, travel the U.S., I guess. Uh, with her husband, but she's back. And I asked you the other day, how long are you back, Billy? And you're like, Forever. that's Probably. what you said. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> that makes a mother's heart sing. <laughs> so if someone's interested in piano lessons, actually, I saw a post the other day on Facebook. Who would you recommend for piano lessons? And a, a bunch of names popped up. I didn't know you were back in teaching them. Mm-hmm. So how can moms get in touch with you if they're interested? I guess email would probably be best. It's Amelia M. Harrison 11 at gmail.com. So Amelia, A-M-E-L-I-A-M, Harrison, H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N, 11, at Gmail. And we'll have that on our website as well. You can reach out and she'll hook you up. You you teach piano, you teach... Piano, cello. Have you ever done voice? No, I'm barely a vocalist myself. Okay, all right. I'm just checking. Yeah, so, well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting a funny look from Bobby. I know, why are you doing that? I didn't have anything to add. So, you can find information about things that were mentioned on this podcast at our website, justaskyourmom.com, and you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. And take five seconds to rate and review our podcast and share it with your friends and family. We're so excited. We just hit 20,000 yeah. downloads. Woo, so high five. Yeah. There go. <laughs> if you have topic suggestions, we love to hear them. Send them to us at justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just Just Ask Ask Your Mom. Mom.